Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. So today we are here to continue our discussion about what is one of the most challenging policy issues of our time. And I'm referring to the need of a new fiscal approach in the EU to make sure Europe recovers in good shape, transitioning towards a green economy while gradually consolidating public deficits. In previous episodes, we discussed this topic with MEP Jonas Fernandez and more recently with LSE professor Paul de Gros. This time we're joined by Guntram B. Wolf, the director of Bruegel Think Tank. Thanks for joining the Future is Blue podcast, Mr. Wolf. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And also let me welcome Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe director. Hello, Raymond. Hello. Pleasure to join with Guntram for this discussion. Excellent. So. Mr. Wolf, how can we reconcile the need of increasing green public investment while consolidating public deficits? Well, let me start by outlining what is what is the core of the issue. The core of the issue is that the European Union has given itself ambitious targets um, to uh, uh, reduce its greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, in this decade and, of course, even more in the following decades. And to, to achieve that goal, um, the European Commission estimates additional investment needs of around 360 billion euros per year in the transport and energy system. Uh, so more, 360 billion more than were invested um, in the previous decade. Now, um, a significant part of that is, of course, privately funded. Um, but if we take the current estimates uh, and the current spending in the energy and transport system investments, uh, roughly a quarter on average in the EU um, is funded uh, with uh, public money. So that amounts to basically um, a quarter of a, um, a half a percentage point um, of GDP uh, in annual additional investments to be funded with the public sector. Now, that's a huge uh, amount of money compared to um, the current uh, public gross investments that are roughly three percentage points of, of GDP. So you would have to move from three to some, something like three and a half uh, percentage point now and sustain that uh, for a substantial period of time. And uh, in the past consolidation episode, um, what we saw is that um, public investment, uh, in fact, uh, was not expanded, but actually cut during the uh, during the pan during the uh, consolidation phase. It is typically the item, the budget item, that politicians prefer to cut rather than entitlement spending. So, so we do have a big challenge here. How do we bring investment up, not down? Um, in a cons fiscal consolidation period. 
Now, what are the solutions? I mean, you can think of various solutions, but uh, in my view, an important one, one, um, one solution that um, uh, I think is, is quite obvious um, would be to uh, create some sort of a green golden rule which would exempt uh, spending in climate um, mitigation measures uh, from uh, being considered in the fiscal rules and thereby providing um, an incentive, a political incentive also to politicians to actually uh, move ahead and prioritize that kind of investment. Now, there's a, a number of drawbacks which we can discuss in some detail. Uh, but I think that would be a very clean and simple solution that would provide, um, you know, an emphasis and a political priority on uh, green um, uh, investments. So, Raymond, is the, is the green golden rule that uh, Mr. Wolf was referring to the right solution to reconcile green investment with fiscal consolidation? It is important also to take into account the fact that uh, even though it is conceivable that uh, uh, in order to make room for green investments, you can reduce other types of investment of, or other types of government spending. This is always conceivable, but in fact, this would be detrimental from the point of view of economic growth and therefore fiscal sustainability in the future. And from the point of view of uh, the political economy of the green transition, because you need both uh, non-green investments, let's say education and so on, or infrastructure, and also you need reskilling, you need uh, a transition type of uh, spending in order to facilitate the green transition. Uh, if we neglect that, we may end up in a situation where uh, European economies do not grow as much as would be necessary to make uh, uh, public debt sustainable. And we may end up in a situation where there will be a lot of public resistance uh, to the green transition itself. And so it is extremely important to uh, indeed create this golden rule, as Guntram says, in order to, uh, in a way, spare the rest of spending, which is necessary for European economies to grow and for Europe European societies to sustain the transition. Thank you, Raymond. Uh, Mr. Wolf, in a recent paper, you, you advocate for a, indeed for a green fiscal pact, but you mentioned a few policy frameworks, because there's not only one way of doing this. Um, what is the most realistic path towards incorporating a, a green exemption? Yeah, indeed. So, so I think uh, I think you can basically think of three three basic options of how to achieve uh, more green investments, given the challenge that I I just outlined. I think the first is um, is a general relaxation of the uh, European fiscal rules. Now, I personally don't think that's the right uh, approach. Um, it's not the right approach because um, it would not provide direct incentives for green investment. And um, as we show in our recent paper, together with my co-author Jolt, Jolt Davash, the current rules um, actually do have quite a bit of flexibility uh, to, um, uh, you know, uh, for, for generally uh, a relatively moderate consolidation phase. So, so general consolidation, I think, would just put in, uh, in peril or uh, put in danger um, the necessity to um, consolidate our budgets after the extraordinary expansion um, that we've seen. Now, the, the, the other extreme um, solution would be to say, well, all climate investments 
should be European and, you know, they should be funded through the uh, EU budget or ideally even through some form of next generation EU that continues for the next two decades. Now, I think that's um, that's a, a solution that is uh, politically not realistic because um, why would um, uh, countries, fiscally stronger countries for decades uh, essentially uh, subsidize the build-up of public infrastructure, green public green infrastructure in the in the rest of Europe. So, so this is politically not realistic. And I think also the externality argument is not very strong. I mean, climate is obviously a global global a global issue um, and it needs to be addressed at the global global level. Um, and therefore, European money uh, will be needed to get a, a global consensus on on um, on climate action, ambitious climate action. But I think that should be much more directed at at really poor countries such as as India and others. So the third is really our golden rule that we are proposing. And and I think here the key is to understand that um, one has to have a a very uh, clear focus of what is green investment. Um, uh, not everything that governments do is green investment. It needs to be clearly defined, narrowly defined as the kind of investment that um, actually um, reduces um, greenhouse gas emissions. So <clears throat> a, a clear definition, a clear taxonomy, um, and of course, an institution that monitors um, what is being uh, declared to be to be green. Uh, so, so that is absolutely crucial for the framework to be credible. Yes. Well, I would add to this that I mean I understand Guntram, you make the point that the this uh, golden rule should be in a way um, should accommodate uh, country-specific policies, and for for that we don't need a European-wide uh, fiscal policy in terms of green investment because in a way. It should be done by every country. I agree. I, I also need, think that the, the, there needs to be some sort of European fiscal policy, but not really necessarily focusing on green investment or the green transition, but rather to uh, address uh, asymmetric shocks. And uh, I think what I would perpetuate is uh, one of the elements of recent policy package to address the COVID crisis, which is a sure uh, mechanism which has proved very useful and it's something that uh, you know has worked well in the sense that we don't observe negative um, let's say free riding problems uh, or uh, and, and so on and so forth because this has helped fund um, the job retention schemes like Kurzarbeit or ERTE in Spain and so on, Chômage Partiel in France and, and, and the like and, and this is something which it would, uh, would uh, resemble the, the kind of uh, stabilization, fiscal stabilization element uh, geared towards one of the elements which reacts uh, more, more quickly, obviously, to, the, to any recession, which is unemployment. So, of course, it needs to be carefully defined with criteria which, uh, de depending on how much unemployment has to increase before the mechanism is activated, there have to be guarantees that uh, the countries that have access to it uh, also are countries that reform their unemployment benefit system or have adequate uh, active labor market policies and so on and so forth. But yet, and, and it also it has to come on top of the national schemes. Uh, and so it shouldn't replace national schemes. But provided that's the case, I see that as the beginnings of uh, a kind of fiscal stabilization mechanism in Europe, which complements what has been done 
you know, in terms of the, of the fiscal rule, uh, the, the, gold, the golden rule for green investment, which is more of a national policy in the case of the sure uh, would be a European-wide uh, policy. Thank you, Raymond. I think you're, you're mentioning very interesting ideas, but I wonder what's the appetite of policymakers to to agree on, on those kinds of solutions, considering the learnings from previous crises and considering what's at stake now. What is your reaction to that, uh, Mr. Wolf? Well, I mean, uh, I think it's, it's an important discussion to have and uh, <clears throat> clearly <clears throat> the issue of uh, shock absorption and how to deal with uh, big asymmetric shocks um, is something that is very, very important for the Eurozone. Now, what um, this crisis showed is that there are, there are some mechanisms and um, uh, the crisis, of course, um, the pandemic um, gave rise to this major next generation EU insurance, which in the end was a huge insurance mechanism for countries that were more, were more heavily affected by um, the pandemic. Um, and that were relatively poor. And so <clears throat> that, that, is, that was a one-off insurance mechanism. The real question is, uh, is there scope for uh, more than a one-off insurance mechanism? I think politically, this is very difficult. Um, but what I would say um, is that uh, one doesn't have to make it explicit. I think the focus now really has to be on on implementation, we need to implement um, the next generation EU program, the EU recovery fund program. We need to implement the accompanying reforms. It's absolutely crucial <clears throat> that countries commit to do um, uh, and actually implement the reforms they, are, they have committed to um, uh, so that, um, you know, in a few years time, uh, when policymakers look at um, at this program, they will say, well, this program actually was a success. It didn't only fiscally support the weaker countries, it also modernized our economies, uh, made them more digital, uh, made them uh, more growth friendly, uh, helped with some reforms, domestic reforms that had to be done, um, be that the dual labor market in Spain, the pension system issues in Spain, be that in Italy, important reforms. And, you know, it really changed um, the fundamentals of growth. And and if that's the impression that policymakers have in a few years, you know, I'm pretty sure that a lot of policymakers will say, okay, when there's another big shock, um, such as a new major crisis, um, you know, then we are ready to reactivate um, this instrument or a similar instrument. So the success of the current instrument uh, will be absolutely crucial for um, the uh, likelihood of um, similar insurance mechanisms to be activated in the future. So this next generation is a crucial test indeed. And are we are we going in the right direction? Are we seeing positive li lights, uh, even though if it's, it's early? I know it's early, but Raymond, are there already some positive uh, lights on this? Yes, I believe I believe so, and I think that uh, we we have several positive lights. I think uh, uh, compared to uh, what could have happened in the absence of next generation EU, and again, I'm, I, I, let me re-emphasize the role of the Sure program for unemployment benefits, and also the a kind of mix of monetary and fiscal policy, which which has been put in place de facto. Uh, with with this crisis, in the absence of this, probably we would, we, today we would be in a much more difficult situation. 
uh, with possibly some countries nearing um, almost situation of financial crisis. So I would say already now I can see some, some gains from the present approach. And also, in addition to that, the um, kind of next generation EU programs, the country specific programs, include lots of reforms. Uh, in, indeed, um, it, 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 seems, it seems very impressive when you look at the list of reforms in the countries that Guntram mentioned before, but also in France, less in Germany, I observe in the country, uh, in, in the country program of Germany, because I mean, it's, it's a smaller size. But yet, uh, I think most countries are moving. I believe in the right direction in terms of reforms. So I think, uh, at least in terms of the uh, uh, the gains so far from avoiding a major crisis and even worse crisis uh, from uh, associated with COVID, and in addition, in terms of the commitments uh, for uh, structural reforms, I can see already some positive gains. Uh, and uh, I think what what uh, we need is not only implementation but also to uh, gain confidence that this policy, this new approach compared to the financial crisis, for example, um, has, benefit all, has benefited all countries, not only those which have been in a weaker position, but also the other countries as well. I think that's extremely important. And whatever is done for the future, it has to be done for all countries together. It's not, uh, it's not a question of putting in place schemes uh, which we will benefit disproportionately only some, but rather it has to be all countries and no country is in a situation that it can neglect an asymmetric shock. We've seen asymmetric shocks in, in recent history um, and you know in different parts of, of Europe and so it's important that, uh, that we bear that in mind as well. So I would say yes, I'm relatively confident and I also relatively confident that, uh, I mean, uh, that the monetary pillar of the approach is there now and I can see much more cooperation between monetary and fiscal policy with many, many challenges, of course, associated with, you know, the pickup in inflation, what will happen with it. But yet, uh, I can see a new approach to, I would, in general, macroeconomic policy, which um, should give confidence to policymakers in all countries. And recently in Germany, the news that, uh, that come from Germany, from the new government, seem to be going in that direction as well. Are you, maybe, maybe to finish, Mr. Wolf, because we're running out of time, but I'd, I'd love to hear your reaction to the last thing Raymond said about the positive signals coming from the new German government for the debate we're having here today. I wish there was an easier question uh, um, to, <laughs> to end this conversation. I mean, I, I would say, look, I, I, I think, I think, I mean, also to react a bit to what Raymond said, I mean, I think there, it's always an interplay and um, it's an interplay between uh, what Germany does and what other countries do. Um, I talked about the need of reform in, in other countries. I think that's that's really crucial. And, you know, I, I agree that some first steps have been taken, but I think also implementation uh, is really important. And so it uh, we are still at the beginning of the process. And, you know, when I look at the new German government, I would say they um, they have clearly a modernization program in mind for the uh, German economy. Um, they uh, are clearly pro-European. I mean, there's a clearly pro-European focus in this new government. Um, there's also um, uh, a few sentences in there um, giving a certain opening on the stability and growth pact reform um, with some more focus on investment and, and growth. Um, 
but of course, um, all of that is going to be subject to very long and difficult negotiations, I'm, I'm sure. And I think it's going to be in these negotiations, it's going to be so important that um, uh, all sides send the right signals. Uh, I certainly think um, uh, the incoming German finance minister uh, will rightly want to uh, emphasize um, uh, that you know reform is possible uh, on of the rules from his point of view but um, there needs to be some sort of um, um, a balanced approach with 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 other countries also doing their part and so i think that will be very much the conversation of the next years um i'd like to i'd like to thank you both for joining this uh, interesting debate so let me let me thank uh guntram b wolf director of brugel think tank Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Raymond Torres, Funkas Europe Director. Thank you, Raymond. And thanks very much. Have a good day. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero-Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.